Alright guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are in 2 Samuel 9 and 10. I mean, it's been building. Think about this. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about David serving as the anointed one. Samuel comes in and anoints him. He cleans house and kills Goliath. And crazy enough, he was pulled from a sheepfold to do this. And then what we just walked into yesterday was that it was pretty clear David's lineage, David is, his, his throne is going to last forever, his house is going to last forever, his kingdom is going to last forever. Why? Because he's going to experience, well, one, I think there's an open heaven for, for the Lord to work through David. I mean, God is choosing to work mightily and powerfully through, through David. And one of the reasons is in Psalm 78, what I love about this whole picture here, this is a, a diptych, okay? Two different paintings that come together to form one. Did you like that? I didn't swear, by the way. That was actually an art word. Is that what I love about this whole painting is that this is a summary of Psalm 78, 70 through 72. It really is. How God says he pulled David from the sheepfold and he pulled him from from being a, a shepherd to being king. Why? Because of the integrity of his heart and the skill of his hands. And what I love about David is, is that the integrity of the heart, he honors his word. Think about this. His best friend was who? Jonathan. Jonathan. He established a covenant with Jonathan and said, hey, by the way, uh, when I become king and Jonathan says, when you become king, would you please make sure you take care of my family? And so this whole picture to me is, yes, the anointed. Yes, it's the eternal. But a man, it's also integrity. This is a picture of integrity and skill. And so David makes a promise to Jonathan. Yes, I will get your families back. I will show kindness to your Family. In fact, it says 2 Samuel 9, 1. Is there anyone remaining from Saul's family that I can show kindness to because of Jonathan? So David remembers the campaign promise. He's a political figure that actually, you ready for this, honors what he said during the campaign trail. I'll do this. Now, the one thing we know is that David wasn't pitching to be king. God chose him to be king. But I do love that he is a man of his word. Is there anybody, by the way, that I can bless and take care of from Saul's family because I promised to help take care of of Jonathan? He continues to show loving loyalty even at this point in 2 Samuel 9. And in verse 2, it says this, after he asked this question, there was a servant of Saul's family named Ziba. They summoned him to David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? Well, yes, I am. (laughs) You know, like I'm Ziba. I I just love that. I am your servant, he replied. And so it says on, it continues on in verse three. Uh, so the king asked, is there anyone left of Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God to? Now, Ziba, just so you have an understanding, he is a former servant of Saul. In 2 Samuel 16, it talks about this. So he, he understands um, his role. And he says, well, there's still Jonathan's son who was injured in both, in both feet. So what I want to do is, is I like this image. Wearsby does this well. Okay, first of all, finding Mephibosheth. Ooh, thanks. So in first four verses, okay, David is looking for Jonathan's family. David is looking for Saul's family. He's like on the hunt. 
I, I like this because a person of integrity, he doesn't wait for them to come to him. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not like Mephibosheth comes up to him and says, hey, hey, I, I'm, I'm family. What does David do? He says, is there anybody that's out there that is family? Like, he's proactive about honoring his word. I just think that's a really cool insight. And he talks to Ziba, and Warren Wearsby calls Ziba a, a, an estate manager. He handles Saul's estate. Like, he knows all of the scenarios. And he says, well, there's Jonathan's son who is injured in both feet. So he's described as a man who has physical conditions. And in verse 4, the king David then asked Ziba, where is he? Well, Ziba answered the king, here's where you'll find him. And if you'll go to this map here, Rich Forrest, you'll find him in Lodabar, right? Lodabar at the house of Machir, son of Amiel. Okay, so where are we at right now, Kevin? We're in Jerusalem. We're down here in Jerusalem. Because in 2 Samuel 5, David has made this his home, his palace, the city of David. And so when Ziba says, oh, you'll find him in Lodabar, man, that, that's a ways away. And so this is how he responds, okay? And this is, this is kind of cool. Um, let me talk about Mocker, okay? Mocker, son of Emil, right? That's, that's, that's where he's at. So Mephibosheth, okay, the family member, is staying at the house of a really wealthy man, okay? This really wealthy man, man of wealth, okay, he, uh, who sh- showed hospitality to David during Absalom's uh, revolt. Oh my goodness. Hang in here, Lord. (laughs) And so here's here's what happens, okay? So they found him. Is that true? They found him. Now watch in verse 5, okay? He does what is so obvious, but he begins, there's a calling from Mephibosheth. Kevin, yeah, thank you. Can you do that one more time? I'm sorry. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Okay, so this is what happens. So here's what happens in verse 5. So King David had him brought from the house of Machir, son of Emil, in Lodabar. Okay, and then it says in verse 6, Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan. I feel like... Just try it. Just slow down and try it. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, bowed down to the ground and paid homage. And David said... Mephibosheth! <laughs> and Mephibosheth says, I am your servant. Now, can we go to, we have a, a genealogy here, just so you kind of understanding. It says he's the son of Jonathan, son of Saul. So here you have Benjamin, okay, the house of Saul. Okay, Benjamin, Ner, Kish, and Abner, and Saul. So now King Saul right here, okay, comes all the way over here. He's got multiple sons. Jonathan is here. That's one of his sons. And Jonathan has three sons, Mephibosheth, Micah, and then many descendants. Now, don't be confused by another son, Mephibosheth. I mean, it's a common name. Didn't you know that, you guys? <laughs> just kidding. Anyway, this is the lineage, okay? Just so you know. So, I mean, here, here's, here's what I think is really cool about this graphic here. Like, David's just asking for any family member. Isn't that right? Any family member. He'll take anybody. And this is the one that he gets. I'm just, I'm just implying that, like, God obviously has a really unique plan for Mephibosheth. I just think this is a really cool, cool picture. Now, Mephibosheth, okay, if you go to 2 Samuel 4, 4 for me, Kevin. 2 Samuel 4, 4. So this is right before Jerusalem was overtaken, okay? Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son whose feet were crippled. So Mephibosheth, right here, he was five years old when the report came about Saul and Jonathan that came from Jezreel. So think about this. 
when Saul and, remember Saul and Jonathan, remember they were killed, right? When that was happening, when they got the report, the nurse picked up Mephibosheth, picked him up and then fled. So he has already had bad feet. Okay, that's true. But then as she was hurrying, he fell and became lame and his name was Mephibosheth. <laughs> Mephibosheth. Okay, you can't say that one fast at all. So this is the backdrop. Okay, this is the backdrop. So his feet were creep, crippled. So when he was five years old, a nurse that was carrying him, I don't, I don't want to say dropped him, but obviously something happened in this process. This story is really crazy to me. So as a five-year-old, he lost his family. As a five-year-old, no dad figure. Now, we know just in America, when you don't have a father figure, statistics uh, in the prisons, like it's crazy, you guys. So many men in the prisons uh, have done some kind of crime because they have no father figure pouring into their life. So who knows what Mephibosheth is going to, Mephibosheth, you know, who knows how Mephibosheth is going to actually turn out? Does that make sense? Like, who knows? And so uh, some people would say uh, he was 12 years old at the time of, can you go, at the time of Ishibothesh death, okay? So he's probably 12 years old at the time of his, his uncle, right? That would be his uncle's death. Um, and so that David captured Jerusalem, just to kind of give you an idea, uh, roughly in the year 1004 BC. Okay, so give you an idea. So just right before this, this was all taking place. And so they estimate at this context, okay, in this time, uh, that he was 20 years old. Okay, 20 years old. And in fact, Kevin, can you go to verse, um, yeah, we go to verse 12 of 2 Samuel 9, okay? Just so you know. So remember, here's the picture. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. Okay, so now think about this. Mephibosheth is roughly 20 years old. He's got a son named Micah. And so I'm painting a picture here. Like this isn't some little kid that's on the side of the road that has crippled feet. He's a young, grown man. Okay, so now he comes and he says, and David says, you know, out loud his name, Mephibosheth. And then what was Mephibosheth's uh, line? I'm your servant. Why does he say that? And Kevin, I want to go to your point here is because if you're in the lineage of, of Saul and David's the new guy, normal kingdom mentality is let's kill them all. Let's wipe them off, which is why Jonathan established this covenant with David saying, hey, let, let's save my family line, please. All I want to just show is over and over and over again, you're going to see David honors his word by sparing Mephibosheth's life because he honored his covenant with, with Jonathan. Okay, does that make sense? All right, let's keep going if we can, all right? This is kind of cool. Verse 7, it says, So he says to Mephibosheth, Don't be afraid. Since I intended to show you kindness because of your father Jonathan, I will restore to you all your grandfather's Saul's fields. And you will always eat meals at my table. Let's keep going here and I'll come back to a little bit more of the, of the meaning here. Verse 8, it says, Mephibosheth bowed down after hearing this, right? And said, what is your servant that you take an interest in a dead dog like me? I mean, this dead dog mentality, you know, a lot of people would say um, they're useless, uh, considered um, you can't work with them. They're unclean scavengers. Scavengers, like this was just a mentality. Can you go to Proverbs 26, 11? As a dog returns to his vomit, to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. I mean, he really kept feeling like he's living in this posture of he's got no identity. He's got a low self-image, right? 
Uh, and then the reality is, is that David says, I don't care. I don't care how you view yourself. I view yourself as somebody totally, totally different. And so then it says in verse 9, Then the king summoned Saul's attendant Ziba. I am Ziba. And I've given to your master's grandson. Ziba is just a lot easier to say than Mephibosheth, okay? I've given to your master's grandson all that belonged to Saul and his family. Okay, cool. Now let's go to the lineage. Who does Ziba... uh, who does David say is going to get all of this stuff? Is it to Ziba or is it to Mephibosheth? It says it to Ziba, but the land is going to go to Mephibosheth. You got it. Ziba hears this, but he says, I'm giving your master's grandson all of this stuff. Okay? Just, I want to make sure everybody understands that that's really, really important. Okay? Now, here we go. In verse 9, this is what's happening. So, I'm going to write down one other component here. Enriching... Mephibosheth. This is really a cool, cool discipleship process here, okay? Uh, He's fighting Mephibosheth, right? He asked for him. And then there's this, he calls for him. What What do you guys think? Okay, this is for all of us here. What do you think the word enriching means? Without going into verses 9 through 13, this is really important. What does enriching mean? Um, Basically, blessing somebody with good things, giving it to them. Yeah, you're right. Hey, think about this. He was in Lodabar, Lodabar, Lodabar. Kevin, what's it mean, by the way? No pasture land. No pasture land. That's actually pretty depressing. So if he has no pasture land, what does that really mean then? Uh, no sheep, no flocks. No money. He's got, he's got nothing, man. So even just this enriching, no goats, no sheep or goats. <laughs> like, he is out in desolate land. And so when, there, when we're going to see enriching of Mephibosheth, he's going to inherit, like... Like, almost um, a, a sense of value, a sense of worth, not because of not having something, but because somebody cares enough that they want to pour into it. So it's not based on what you have. That's actually the complete opposite. It says in verse 10, you, your sons and your servants, I'm sorry, he's talking to Ziba here, are to work the ground for him, and you are to bring in the crops so your master's grandson will have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, my master, your master's grandson, is always to eat at my table. So Mephibosheth, at this point, was now also clearly given 15 sons that come from Ziba and 20 servants that come from Ziba. This whole crew is to take care of them. In verse 11, Ziba said, all right, said to the king, your servant will do all my lord the king commands. So Mephibosheth, Ate at David's table just like one of the king's sons. Like, can you imagine sitting around the table? Hey, what'd you say your name was? Mephibosheth. <laughs> that's awesome. Isn't there another one? Yeah, but that's not me. That's an uncle. I'm the, I'm the other guy. Anyway, I just kind of, I picture this mentality of like, because David had such a love for Jonathan. Like, I, I always have always kind of viewed this as, and in fact, I, I sat down with my kids yesterday, last night at the dinner table. I actually told them this story. Super funny, Jude, Selah. What's his name again, Dad? Because I already botched it. Imagine what they say, right? And I just said, hey, imagine if, you know, one of my best friends uh, in college was Dave Perkins. And I just said, imagine if something happened to Dave, okay? And the next thing you know, years go by. But I told Dave I'd take care of his family. Can you imagine if I said, hey, Will, Graham, and Macy, they could all stay at our house. And like, you know, our kids would be like, yes, 
please, come on. They can all stay there. Like there's an excitement because they know my friendship with Dave is so key. Well, I really believe those that are around David, they all knew Jonathan's relationship with him is so key that as soon as a family member comes in, everybody's welcoming him. Yeah, come on, sit at the table. I just think there's a really cool picture that he was invited to the table. Kind of makes me think of, uh, was it the Gospel of, of Luke, you guys? Wasn't it the Gospel of Luke where we had the table when we talked about Jesus inviting people to the table? The painting, Mindy's painting. In fact, can we go there? Can we go to Luke 22, verse 29? Luke 22, verse 29. Luke 22, verse 29 says, I bestow on you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one on me, verse 30, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Again, um, Chuck Swindoll, I actually don't think this is a far stretch here. Chuck Swindoll says, in my personal opinion... What we see here is the greatest illustration of grace in all of the Old Testament. Think about this. It's a pretty, pretty unique statement. Lodabar, a guy who doesn't deserve at all to be in the kingdom. That's true, right? At all. He's been kicked out. In fact, he's hiding in a desolate place. But because of God's grace through David, he, he brings him to the table and says, you can eat and partake with me. Scripture says this in Luke 13, 29. They will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. Verse 30 says, note this, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. God is inviting, go back to verse 29 if you don't mind, please. Uh, look, they're going to recline at the table. God's going to make a place for these, for these people. Now, now think about this though. Okay, think about, Constable says this, okay. Um, because of the fall of man, Mephibosheth was deformed at some level, right? Is that true? Because of the fall, when I say fall, Adam and Eve, because sin entered into the world. And so here he was hiding, okay? Constable says he was hiding in, 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 uh, in barrenness and he was fearful of the king. Like this is the position, okay? Crazy enough, uh, David took the initiative to seek out, as we've talked about, to find him in spite of his unloveliness. And to, he brought him into the house and he, you ready for this? He adopted him as his own son. And he shared his bounty. He shared fellowship. Psalm 23, verse 6 says, Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me, right, all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. And then he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Can you, can you imagine? This is Mephibosheth right here. Like I am literally at the table before my enemies and what does he do? My cup overflows and I feel blessed. And where was the, where was the place that he was at? Kevin, what's Lodabar mean? No pasture. No pasture. Barrenness. And yet David sought out this man. In fact, Mephibosheth, it says this in, uh, in verse 11, right? He ate at the, t- he ate at the table. He was clearly blessed, and it was nothing that he did. It was truly because of David's faithfulness to a covenant promise. Now, let's make this simple correlation to believers. I mean, believers are truly blessed because of nothing that we have done. I mean, nothing. I mean, we all are in a state of Lodabar. All of us, every single one of us is in this posture. Our pasture lands, it don't exist. We are literally in a state of, um, of, of barrenness. 
We are not blessed because of good works. That's the difference between following Christ than any other religion. If you're Buddhist, if you're Hindu, if you're even atheist, even in Judaism, all of those are based on uh, following rules, doing good. Your good has to outweigh in Muslims, you know, with Islamic uh, Islam, uh, Mus- uh, your good always has to outweigh your bad. That's not the case with us. In fact, not at all. In fact, he's he's calling us to him. And what I love is, is he wants to enrich us. He wants to he wants to bless us. But it's all because of God's faithfulness. Kevin, can you go to Romans nine, verse 16, please? I'm going to just walk through some scripture verses here that kind of just really prove this point. Romans 9, 16 says, So then it does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. Wow, praise the Lord. If it depended on Mephibosheth right here to get here, can you imagine him walking there? It would never happen. So coming before the Lord's table is not dependent upon our will or our Effort. So can I just say, stop trying then. Stop trying to prove your worth. It doesn't work. It doesn't happen. Can you go to Galatians 5 verse 2? Galatians 5 verse 2 says this. Take note, I, Paul, tell you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. You know what that means? It means uh, whether you're circumcised or you're not circumcised, it's not about... Uh, the works. It's not about legalism. It's not about, oh, I, I read. Did you guys know I read every day? Or did you know I pray every day? Did you know, hey, I actually feed the homeless every other day? Or, hey, man, you should see how much money I give. Christ says that has nothing to do with order to come to the table. And that's what I love about the story of David finding Jonathan's lost son. In Acts 13, verse 39. Acts 13, verse 39, it says this. And everybody who believes in him is justified from everything, which you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. Kevin, what does that mean? Keeping the law is not going to cut it, basically. You can't keep up with the 613 13 laws. That's good, Kevin. You can't. You're only justified by believing. Can you go to Galatians 2, verse 16? And, I, you know, look, when we go out and we, when we share the gospel with people here in the States, like this is a game changer than any other religion. You don't find your worth in what you do. Galatians 2, 16 says, Know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. No work will ever determine and allow you to come to the table to sit with the king. Now you're only justified because of, of what Christ did. 2 Timothy 1.9. 2 Timothy 1.9, it just says this. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his purpose, his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. I love this. Mephibosheth, I have no idea if he knew that Jonathan and David made a covenant. I don't know. I'm guessing he probably did. He probably knew something because they're that close in their family. But he couldn't do anything about it because he was afraid he's going to die. And nothing to do with what he did. 
It's not according to our works. And Scripture says this over and over. In Titus 3, verse 4 and 5. Titus 3, 4 and 5. It says this, But when the goodness and love for man appeared from God our Savior, verse 5, it says He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done. But look at this picture. But according to His mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Hopefully you're beginning to see the point. Hopefully you're beginning to see the power behind this. It's all from the Lord and not of ourselves. And then when you look at our wristbands that we have here, you know, look, here's the, de- here's the deal. Romans 3.23 says, all of us, you ready for this? All of us function in barrenness. <laughs> and then it says in Romans 6.23, all of us deserve to be in no pasture land. All of us deserve to be in Lodabar. Or in other words, all of us deserve death ultimately. But here's the cool part. But in Romans 5, 8, it says that God shows up and he demonstrates his love. David, think about this, shows us his love and says, hey, would you come to the table? God demonstrates his love and says, hey, I'm actually going to die for your sin and your death. And here's what I love. Okay, now that you know this, now that Mephibosheth knows this in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, this is the blue verse. Here's what he wants you to understand. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it just says this. It says, for you're saved, you can come to the table. Can I just put it that way? by grace through faith, and it's not from yourselves. This is truly a gift that he got invited to the table. For us, it's an eternal gift. For us, it's a gift that says you can come to the table, but you can't bring any of your stuff with you. It's not from works, verse 9, so that nobody can boast. And I love what verse 10 says, right? For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So I just want to make sure everybody's understanding. I'm not implying you can't do good works. I'm just saying, once you find a seat at the table, then he says, good, now I have a plan and a purpose for you. Now you can walk out truly what I have prepared ahead of time so that you can walk these things out. And that's what Mephibosheth is going to get to experience. It's like new life. And can I just tell you, it's because he's been adopted into the family. He's been adopted into the family. And as as we wrap up here, it just says this in verse 12, right? It talks about, we talked about how he ate it at David's table. And then he says he had a young son, Mephibosheth, had a young son whose name was Micah. And all those living in Ziba's house were Mephibosheth's servants. However, Mephibosheth (laughs) lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. His feet had been injured. Do you know what this means? Is that when he was adopted in the family, then that blessing then was given this opportunity to another family member. But it started because Mephibosheth was adopted into the family. Kevin, would you go to, can you go to Romans 8, verse 15, please? Romans 8, verse 15. It says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. I didn't, Come and invite you to the table so that you could be fearful. But no, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we could cry out, Abba, Father. In other words, you now have an outlet to cry out. And I, I think this is a cool picture because he, did, he didn't have a dad, you guys. One is that David now can start speaking into his life, but ultimately has a bigger picture. And I, I just feel like, you guys, when you realize you're an adopted child of God, you actually can cry out. And that's why he's finding us. That's why he's calling us because he wants to enrich and bless us so that we have this opportunity as adopted children of, of God. Can you go to Ephesians 1.5 for me? This is a really, really unique story. 
And uh, it could come quick if you, if you miss it. And just think about this, though. God, God knows you're out there. Can I just tell you this? God knows exactly that you are in Millersburg, Indiana. God knows exactly that you're in Wausau, Wisconsin. He knows, strangely enough, He knows that you're in Seattle, Washington. He knows exactly where you're at. He's looking for you. He's calling for you. And Ephesians 1, 5 says He's predestined us to be adopted. He knows where you're at. To be adopted through Christ, Jesus Christ for Himself, according to His favor and will. It has nothing to do with us and everything to do with Him. And can I just tell you, He's out there looking. He is out there looking today for, here we go, the Mephibosheths. <laughs> and we need to as well. You know, this is 2 Samuel 9, and then in 2 Samuel 10, uh, there's a lot there. But for the sake of time, guess what? We'll get to more of it tomorrow.